Hi everyone, we're doing something a bit different this month. Instead of focusing on all of the amazing things that operations folks can do for their firms and, and how they can do those things better and more efficiently, we're actually going to look inward and we're going to focus on how all of you can get more from your careers and how you can feel more fulfilled in your job. So Stacy McKinnon, who many of you know, she is the COO, CMO, and partner at Morton Wealth here in Southern California. She's just up the road from me, but I'm <laughs> I'm too lazy to ever leave my desk. So <laughs> so we're we're conducting this uh, interview via Zoom, but we're not that far from one another. Uh, Stacy appeared on episode four of the COO Roundtable podcast, one of our very first ones. She was also kind enough to join me for the outside interview in our employee development course inside the COO Society. Uh, she's one of the true leaders in our industry. She's really fighting for the voice of the COO. And just like me, she's very passionate about promoting the need for professional management in our industry. So I am delighted to have her back. And with that long introduction, Stacy, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Matt. That was, that was quite the introduction. I, I feel like <laughs> my cheeks are red <laughs> a little bit. I'm so happy to be here. And, you know, you and I have built a collaborative relationship over the last few years and I learn so much from you too so it'll be a, a fun discussion today. Perfect. Well, let me explain that this is a, such a great conversation and such an important message that we want to share with everyone. We're, we're actually doing double time here. We're going to record this both as episode 46 of the podcast, as well as this is going to act as one of the courses inside the human resources learning path of the COO Society. So we're filming via video for the, for the course, and then we're going to just strip the audio for the, for the podcast. So um, we're doing double time. But um, Let's jump in. So as the, as the basis for our discussion today, it's going to be this incredible paper that Stacy wrote. It's titled, Your Career is Up to You. It includes a few pages also written by Philip Palaviv of the Ensemble Practice. Um, so we're going to link to the paper as part of the uh, episode notes for the podcast. It's also going to be inside COO Society. But, but Stacy, let me first just ask, what prompted you to write this paper in the first place? Uh, it was a a uh, product of a lot of reflection. Over the last two years, I feel like the world has gotten tricky. We've started to question ourselves more and more. We're not sure if we like the career we've chosen, if we want to continue down the same path. And at the end of the day, these questions are really good to become reflective. But I worry that sometimes we ask ourselves so many questions that it actually holds us back from achieving the things that we really want to achieve. And if we just depend on other people to achieve our goals, we may not get what we want from life as we would if we really took ownership over our career. So I wanted to write the paper and share just stories of things that I learned in my life, the different jobs I've had, what eventually led me to be at Morin Wealth and then become the COO and CMO and a partner. You know, the road wasn't easy. And I thought that it would be really nice to share that with our industry and even colleagues, friends outside of the industry, and just give a different perspective on what we can actually do to gain control back um, of our lives and our career. It's, it's been a few years of 
feeling out of control and uncertain and getting that control back just feels like the right thing to do now. And I want people to have some of the tools and resources that and lessons I've learned to be able to do that. Great. Well, I'm going to give away a little bit of the punchline right here in the beginning because I want people to come into this conversation with the right mindset. So I'm going to tell everyone right off the bat, this conversation is not going down the path of if you want more from your career, you your employer has to give you more stuff. <laughs> that is not where we are headed with this discussion. Uh, I'll, I'll point out that the very first uh, page of Stacy's article, it has some some pullout quotes on it, and it states to build your career, you have to be trustworthy, collaborative, accountable, you have to be a good teammate, productive, dependable, you must achieve results. And you need to be an excellent communicator. So Stacy, talk to us about that that list. I, I love it. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of competencies on the list. It's a little overwhelming, potentially. You, you know, as I reflect upon what's really gotten me to the place in my career that I am today, it didn't come from waiting for someone else to tell me what to do. It came because I proactively took the steps that I needed to take to take ownership over my my career. And I think sometimes we get confused. We we think we need to just put our head down and work really hard and eventually things will come our way. But the truth of the matter is if you want to grow in your career, you want to seat at the leadership table one day, you actually have to put in the hard work and achieve the results necessary to get yourself that spot at the table. I was actually talking to a coworker recently about the struggles they're having of getting to the next stage in their career. And they're like, oh, I just don't have time for projects or I don't have time to do the big things because my inbox is just exploding. I'm just I'm just in reactive answering email mode every single day. And you know, that's all I can do. And I asked them the question, which is like, do you think that that will get you to the next stage? Do you think just responding to emails is the thing that will progress you further? And you know, they kind of sheepish, sheepishly said, no, probably not. I'm like, no, it's not. Because to truly have a seat at the leadership table to make decisions to be a strategic partner for your organization or firm, you have to achieve results, which means that you have to gain control over your inbox, not think of that as the most important thing that you're doing for the organization. But moving the firm forward in whatever initiatives you have is actually the things that are the most important. And so I list all of those competencies because I think they're all good. But at the end of the day, we need to make sure we're not trading working hard for career progression because working hard could look like answering emails, but answering emails doesn't achieve results. Yeah, we, we all love the, the concept of uh, remote work, but it, 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 the, the challenge there is it really is all about results now. It's not because yeah. they, they don't see you, you know, hey, I got in early and I stayed late. I was sitting here. I was playing solitaire. I love the office. <laughs> right. Every time they showed someone's computer screen, they were <laughs> they were playing solitaire. It's not about the time put in. It's got to be about the results. Yeah. And I think the remote work has confused that, too, because what we end up doing, which is a whole other issue, is we end up being on a phone call on a Zoom call. All of us have our inbox open and we're like seeing emails come through and we're trying to listen to a person and we quickly respond to an email and then we forget what they say and then we're embarrassed and we can't you know 
walk it back and be like, what did you just say again? I wasn't listening. <laughs> and then we're multitasking, which is just making our brain tired. I think about when I first uh, started working, I used to put multitasking as one of my competencies. And I've quickly realized that that's not a, that's not a good competency, actually. <laughs> that's a distraction to actually focusing on what you need to achieve and being fully present and engaged in everything that you're doing. And I feel like the last few years have caused us to have some bad multitasking habits that we really have to get out of uh, if we're really going to achieve those results. Yeah. So you you open your paper with a story of your very first job washing mm -hmm. cars in Lake Tahoe yes. <laughs> and you assumed and I would have too. Uh, you assumed that that was going to be a fun and carefree experience playing in the sun, mm -hmm. but it didn't <laughs> it didn't exactly turn out that way. So tell us tell us about that experience. You know, uh, I was a part of the generation that started working at a very young age. I'm not sure that that always happens anymore, but my parents had a deal with me. They, the deal was if I got a job, I was allowed to save all the money that I made. And if I wanted to pay for some extra stuff, I could, you know, if it was above and beyond, that would be fine. But they were still willing to pay for me to go to the movies or have a meal out with friends at 16, 17 years old, as long as I saved the money and it, you know I reflect back on it and it was actually probably one of my first experiences in financial planning because I had to make those decisions how was I going to save and should I spend anything on extras and I ended up saving probably 75% of the money I made and 25% went to some of the fun things that I did in life but what I realized was that this was the lesson in goal setting because I had this job at a car wash in the winter it was brutal it was 15 degrees outside there was mud, there was slush, it was gross, but people tipped really well. I worked really hard and reflecting back on it, I got to college with a savings account, with money to spend. I got to enjoy my life and have that cushion that allowed me to do it. And it truly was like a blessing in disguise at that point. It also told me to work hard. I got to like immediately at a young age, see the fruits of my labor and uh, it was a pretty good experience, although, you know, I probably am glad that I'm not doing that now. <laughs> that sounds a little brutal uh, today. Maybe just as you get older, you have less resiliency for 15 degree <laughs> weather. Yep. But I was so grateful that I had that experience. And I'm actually I'm really grateful for all of the jobs I've had. Every single one taught me a lesson. And that lesson has created my mindset and how I approach my work today. Well, I feel guilty because my first job at 16 was a fun and carefree experience. Oh, lucky, <laughs> I, I, lucky. I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know how I swung it, but uh, I, I was an usher at oh. a minor league baseball stadium, the San Bernardino Spirit. They were a single A baseball mm -hmm. team. The, the, the stadium only held about 8,000 people. Mm -hmm. And I somehow finagled my section that I was the usher for was like, directly behind home plate. So I basically would get everyone in their seats before the game started. And then I would just sit there and, <laughs> and, and watch a baseball game right, but right behind the plate. And I'm so old. The minimum wage back then was $4 and 25 cents. Oh my God. So I made a maximum of $17 per game. Uh, many nights the stadium was empty and they would send me home early. So I wouldn't even get to the full, <laughs> the full 17, but, but at 16 getting paid to watch baseball. And, and then in the best part in the seventh inning, they would allow us to take a break. I got, a free hot dog i got a free soda and i'd go sit in the bleachers and, and have my dinner it's oh my been I, I was thinking about this it's been 31 years now since i had that experience it was my very first job 
but to this day it was the single best work experience <laughs> that i've ever i've ever had i think uh i think that fits well into our conversation today because i was making minimum wage it wasn't about the money yeah it was just about the work environment and it was about everything that came along with the job well probably taught you to that you wanted to do work that you could also enjoy right that right. you had like a passion towards or felt somehow connected to which is very fun also very lucky I feel like I would have traded you for that, yes. <laughs> for that job. <laughs> Compared to what you were doing, yes, yeah. this was a, a piece of cake. <laughs> but that's great. So let's let's talk about career ownership. Uh, the 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 notion of quiet quitting. It's all over the press right now. Um, and, and you touched on this a little bit, you know, coming out of COVID, I think a lot of people are reevaluating their careers and their work-life balance. But as, as, as I mentioned in, in the intro, you've taken a different angle with your paper. You've said, hey, if, if you want to be fulfilled in your career, the responsibility lies on your shoulders. Um, they, they need to take control of their career and look for opportunities to raise their hand wherever possible, to take on projects and prove themselves as they work their way up the career ladder. It's something we, we talk about on the podcast all the time. So why do you feel so strongly that people should have an ownership mindset when it comes to building their career? I, I find that people who are disappointed in where their career has has come to are people who are overly dependent upon other people. I think at the end of the day, 90% of the time, it's going to leave you unfulfilled if you just wait for someone else to give you an opportunity. I don't think that that's a good recipe for success. And it ends up making people fall into like a victim mentality where they're saying that they're held back by others as opposed to an empowered mentality that's the, where you say to yourself, I can do it because I have the drive and I have the passion and I have the power to do it. Now, that being said, you can't do it without other people. <laughs> so there's a difference in my mind between depending on other people to get what you want and uh, seeking other people out to mentor you, with, mentor you, collaborate with you, sponsor you, coach you to get to where you want to go. I couldn't do anything that I was doing in my life without, you know, the collaboration from my husband and us deciding that this is the thing that we're going to pursue and, and pursue together in many ways. Even though I'm the one that's showing up every day and doing the work at Morton, he's always there supporting me every step of the way. My friends, my colleagues, uh, our CEO, Jeff Sardi, and my partner, Megan Pinchuk, all of us together help one another to create the careers that we want to have. And so when I say that your career is up to you, I'm not saying that other people don't play a significant role in it. I'm saying it's up to you to find those people that are going to play the role that they need to play to help you to get to where you want to go. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. I think that there's, um, I guess when I hear about people who are un unhappy and sad, it truly is because they feel like they don't have that control and they don't have those people and they don't have those resources. And so in writing the paper, I wanted to suggest that then just go find those people and <laughs> just go yeah. do it. Like you, you can do it. You can find them. I have people reach out to me on LinkedIn all of the time for just one-on-one -on -one conversations because they're stuck and they just want someone to collaborate with and, and pass ideas by. I'm happy to do that too. I, there's a lot of people out there and they're willing to help. Yeah. The, the ownership mentality, whenever I hear that, I think of 
uh, Eric Heyman from Austin Asset, when he was on our, our podcast, he used a plant mm. analogy. It was just an analogy, but he said, walk around the office and find plants that need watering. Mm. You know, raise your hand and say, yeah. well, I'll water that. I'll be the one that, that does that. And he went from an unpaid intern uh, to the CEO <laughs> uh, yeah. slowly over years, but, but just by taking on more and more responsibility and proving that he was someone that the firm could depend on, he was able to to, to, to move himself up. So whenever I hear that ownership mentality, I always think about the plant analogy. That's so true. It, it, you know, I was uh, thinking about reflecting on this the other day, like the difference between a contributor and a doer. A contributor is someone who notices that the plants <laughs> need servicing and right. goes and helps because they know that's going to bring forward the company or enhance the client experience or support their career growth. And a doer waits for someone else. And so he probably made it to um, that level of his organization by being a contributor, not a doer. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question of how are we showing up? Are we showing up as a contributor or a doer? Yep. yep. So you talked about the importance of having that that uh, community around you. Uh, the, the, the problem for a lot of people, I think some of our listeners, they don't feel that they're at a workplace where they are empowered to grow. Uh, in your paper, you talked about finding that workplace with endless possibilities. So what questions do you think someone should ask during the interview process? Everyone's always on their best behavior in an interview, mm -hmm. but, but what can they do to, to, to see if the firm is truly going to offer career opportunities for them? Yeah, the interview process is challenging because you don't want to come off um, entitled or like you have all of these requests for them. That's not necessarily a good way to get a job, but you have to be able to ask the questions that would give you a viewpoint into how they operate. So, you know, potentially you could ask a question like, how do you strategically plan for openings? What's your process to think through uh, career advancement opportunities? Do you have an application process? When you post jobs, do you consider internal hires? If I were to create goals for myself and, and work towards achieving those goals, will you collaborate with me on those goals? so that we have clarity in what we want to achieve. I think the more you can find out how a firm thinks through their hiring, recruiting, um, job opening process, the better you're gonna know if they're a place that's gonna actually give you those endless opportunities. And then make sure in the interview process that you're reinforcing your willingness to own it, your willingness to be curious and learn and engage and invest into the organization, to mentor other people, to be a team player. All of these are incredibly good um, attributes of any candidate. But at the end of the day, you're wanting to make sure that in the interview process that there are opportunities ahead and that there's a lot of transparency within the organization on what those opportunities are and what it takes to get there. This, it's too strong of a word, but the switcheroo, yeah. <laughs> the, the switcheroo that happens in, inter, in interviews, it's, it's a real problem for COOs. Yeah. We, we've written about this in the past. David Cantor, when he was on the podcast, he pegged the failure rate of COOs to be something around 50%, not because the COO was incapable or did something wrong, but many times during the interview, the CEO says all the right things. Hey, I need someone to come in here and run the business for me. I need to focus my time and energy on client service, business development. And that all sounds great. But then once the COO is hired, 
they're undermined by the owner over and over again. The owner doesn't want to change how the firm has done things. Uh, and the employees will figure out very quickly that the COO doesn't have the authority to do it, to do yeah. anything, and they can go right around the COO. So wasn't the, the CEO had the right intentions, but when it really, when the, when the rubber hits the road, they just don't want to change. Yeah. And that's probably something that you can, at least if you're interviewing for a COO position where you have the opportunity to meet the CEO in advance, you can ask some curiosity questions. You can better understand what their opinions are on partnership. How do they show up together? What is What do they really want from the role of COO? And if the answer is, I want you to do all the stuff I don't want to do, you're probably not going to want that job. Right. <laughs> That's not what you want. You don't want right. to just do all the stuff that someone else doesn't want to do. Yeah. You need someone who's asking you to strategically move the company forward and partner with you to do so. And I think that's probably another uh, something you could glean from the interview process if you're looking for a place where there's true opportunity. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so I mentioned Philip Palaviv added to your paper and in the section that he wrote, he said something that really resonated with me. He said, my career didn't follow a plan, but I always had a very strong sense that I wanted to have a career, meaning that I wanted to learn, I wanted to be challenged, I wanted to solve difficult problems, I wanted to be one of the best in my field. I wanted to have the recognition of my peers. And that one, that last little piece is what really resonated with me, the recognition of the peers. So yeah. how can we change our mindset to have the same perspective that, that Philip has? Very good question. I, I do love the part where, that you just said, the recognition of the peers, but I also love the part where he says that he wanted to be the best in his field. I, I think something's happened in our society over the last few years where we choose humility over courage and bravery and sometimes that works and sometimes that actually holds us back because to be one of the best in your field you almost like you can't quite take a humble approach to that you have to actually say like i'm here and i'm showing up and i'm going to do it and i'm going to be good at it and i'm going to add value to you and i'm going to contribute to the company but i'm also going to be proud of the work that i'm doing and i'm going to be confident in the work that we're doing and every once in a while i find that we hold ourselves back by not wanting to come off uh you know boasting or like saying that we're somebody that people should listen to or that are so important but the reality is is that when we're not confident and we don't take control over our career in that way, we don't actually get to make the impact that we want to make. And what I loved about his section, the whole section of the paper that he wrote, was that he truly focused on the impact that he gets to make through the work that he's doing. And I think if we just as humans approach everything with a, like the eye line of impact, so like how is this gonna achieve the impact or um, align with my personal why, think we'll be much happier and we'll go into situations with the right mindset and the perspective that Philip has instead of going into situations and you know feeling like we have to defend ourselves or becoming a victim to our circumstances I think what Philip was really saying is that you have to learn you have to grow you have to solve problems and all of those things will get you what you want out of your career yeah I remember very vividly during my senior year of college trying to figure out you know what i wanted from my from my career and it was it was the weirdest dream but i kept thinking i just want people to rely on me i mm -hmm. i literally said to myself 
I want my boss to have to call me after hours or on weekends to ask me how to do stuff. <laughs> yeah. I want him relying on me. It's, it's a really odd goal for a 21 year old, but for some reason I never really viewed it as quote, just a job. I, I, I didn't, I don't think I knew the terminology, but I always wanted a career, not just, just a job. And then once I got the job, I started way below the lowest man on the totem pole. I was below the person that was ordering lunch every day for the team. But I yeah. remember bringing work home one night and I, I sat at my little, you know, I was 21 years old. I had my little Ikea kitchen table. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and I don't know what, where this mentality came from, but I said, man, this is a great opportunity. If I can just put my head down and really impress my bosses, I can make something of this uh, opportunity that they've given me. I, I don't know how to train for that, but but I have I have no idea where that mentality came from. But that that really has been the secret to my success. Well, and I, I love it that you were excited to get that phone call. There's some times where I hear people that are so strict on the boundaries they set up that they would be mad that they got that phone call and saw it as a violation of their personal boundary versus an opportunity yeah. to showcase what they had and what they could bring to the table. Now, you don't want phone calls every weekend all the time, yep. but periodically, if you have to put in a little bit of extra work, if you have to take that phone call, if you get the opportunity to be reliable, I guess is saying what you're what, you know, playing off what you just shared, yeah. like that, those are the those are the needle movers. And I think we need to make sure that as we're considering balance, we're considering, you know, burnout, we're considering boundaries that we don't go overboard to the point at which we stop actually allowing those opportunities to come our way. Yeah, the pendulum can't swing too far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. So he, he also, Philip also talked, talked about responsibility of leadership. And, and so I'm going to read one more quote from him. He said, the responsibility of the firm is to put you in the ring to give you the opportunity. The responsibility of your coach is to give you the skills that you need to succeed. But what actually happens in the ring is up to you. So we'll come at it not from the employee's perspective here, but let's come at it from the perspective of the firm itself. So as a leader of an organization, Stacey, how, how do you give opportunities to the team, but then empower them to own it from there? Yeah, so uh, we, we have an equation at our company that we use even for our clients. We say that the right mindset plus the right strategy equals a better investor. So for our clients, that looks like the way that we work with them on setting their values, doing financial planning, investing with them. But for our team, we use the same equation. The right mindset plus the right strategy equals a better investor in your career. And so it all starts with mindset from our standpoint. And it's the mindset of the leadership team. You know, I think there's actually a lack of data, knowledge, writings in our industry when it comes to the perspective a leadership team should take in running an organization. We have books like Vivid Vision we read, we have Traction or OKRs that keep us strategically on point, and those are all right strategy oriented, but what is, what's the mindset of a leadership team? And I believe that the best leadership team believes their role is to make other people better, that they're there to make other people better and empower their team members so that they can build departments and build initiatives, build goals that will eventually align with the strategic side of the equation and move the company forward. So the question becomes, how can we create the best possible team? And 
we've always had the perspective as an organization that we want to be employee first. That doesn't mean that we don't put our clients' best interests first from a fiduciary standpoint as incredibly important to us. But we believe that the best way to build a winning organization is to focus on the team. I, I actually liken it to like any sports team. They wouldn't just focus on, you know, how pretty the arena looks or the field looks or the stadium looks in order to bring fans there. Most fans come to the stadium because of the team. And so as leaders, we should take that perspective as well. We should invest into our team. Then they're going to take care of our clients in a way that we never could do just as a single person. And it's really how you scale an organization. A simple example of how we invest into our team. We started doing education sessions every Thursday at 10 a.m. five years ago. It's been five years now. We have over 50 team members and it's required for everyone, advisors too. So every Thursday at 10 a.m. we do, we rotate through different types of educational uh, pieces and we're actually booked out for four months right now in our calendar. But it could be a junior person presenting on a case study so they could hone in their um, presentation skills, but then also teach financial planning strategy to the rest of the organization. We have fund managers come in. I did a session a few weeks ago on storytelling and how to be a better storyteller when you're working with clients or prospects. And so if you are able to invest into your team in this very simple way where we just have a one hour session once a week that's dedicated to people investing in themselves, I think the ROI on that has been tremendous. Our whole organization now understands storytelling principles. Our whole organization is getting financial planning uh, education on a regular basis. And these types of things are really meaningful for, for any company. So I guess to the question you're asking, as an organization, I think what your responsibility is, is to make sure that you're giving your team members the tools, resources, and education they need to be successful. And then you're helping them to stay accountable to goals they set for themselves to get them to the next level and grow and invest into themselves in the same way. Yeah, someone someone said to me once, you you have to give your employees the opportunity to fail. Yeah. You have to mm -hmm. let them figure it out and possibly fall on their face and then course correct from there. You mm -hmm. can't micromanage through the entire process. Let them figure it out for themselves. When I was at Focus Financial, Rudy Adolph used to always say to me, I'd be worried about, I don't know if I should go this direction, Rudy. And he'd say, look, it's impossible for you to bankrupt the company. Whatever you do, it is not going to mm -hmm. put us out of business. And he was... He is an, an incredible leader. He really lets his employees own their jobs, gives them the freedom to innovate and try new things. It's 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 the only way you're going to scale the organization if you feel as the as the leader that you have to have your hand in everything and make every decision. It, it's just not going to grow, and it's it's the only way that you can encourage growth in in the in the team as well. I you know I love that. It's a, a super good point. It, giving people the opportunity to fail or succeed. What that actually does is it helps them to build confidence in themselves. Yeah. It helps them to know, hey, that was a bad decision. Wait, this was a good decision. I'm going to continue making those good decisions yeah. in that way. And as a as leaders of an organization, sometimes we get stuck in a mindset that we just need to tell people what to do when oftentimes what we need to do is give team members objectives or goals or set strategy and then leave it up to them to do the how. Like, how are you going to get to this point? Because that process of being creative is not only fulfilling, but it also leads to them building more confidence in themselves. And ultimately, you have better contributors in your company. Exactly. Yeah. So for for COOs especially, you hear people say that 
the technology choices are easy, but it's getting the people <laughs> to use the technology that's the hard part. And, and I say all the time, I believe 75% of a COO's job is HR. It's mm -hmm. all about interacting with human beings and working as teammates, et cetera. So let's dig into some questions around interacting with others and setting the right expectations. So when a, when a COO is first handed uh, uh, the job, many firms will expect everything to magically work the very next day. They say, hey, we've hired the COO. All of our data issues inside our performance reporting system are now gone. Or the COO is here. All of our systems now are magically integrating with, with one another. But the, the truth is there's no quick fixes. Inside the COO society, we always talk about the easy button. And, and I say mm -hmm. a lot. This isn't the easy button that ever, that everyone thinks it is. So my question for you, Stacey, so as, as, as a COO, how do you balance the quick wins with the other projects that are going to take a lot longer to, to accomplish? This is a, an interesting question because I feel like I still haven't quite figured it out. So <laughs> just a caveat there. But about a year and a half ago, I started evaluating how I was spending my time and I dug a little bit deeper, you know, as a COO, I still do love data. And so I started thinking through like, how, how, where's my time going? Am I using time as an excuse? Meaning I can't do it because I don't have enough time. Am I balancing my time correctly in the different strategic priorities I had? And what I found is that it kind of goes back to multitasking. I was kind of just doing too much at the same time. And I wasn't compartmentalizing and focusing on the things that I needed to, to that were the most important aspects of my job. So two things I think are very important in any role as a COO. One is you have to strategically plan for the organization and do projects that take time and thought in order to do so. And the other big piece of my job is just managing and leading people. So if I have to manage and lead people in one at one point in my day and I have to strategically plan and put thought into projects in another point in my day, I've got to start breaking up my day. And so I adopted a schedule where I wake up at uh, 5.30 every morning and from 5.30, 5.45 to 7, that's when I do strategic planning. That's when I put thought into my work. That's when I organize my day. I clear my inbox to zero every morning. I set tasks for myself. I schedule meetings. I put meeting agendas on the calendar. And then at, from 7 till 10, I do family time. I exercise. I have breakfast, I take the dog for a walk, I do all of the things that are really meaningful in my family life. And then from 10 to four every day, I just dedicate it to other people. So from 10 to four every day, I'm in meetings with my team, I'm leading my team, I'm giving them those quick wins, the things that they need to move forward in their career or to make the decisions in their department. And I'm fully dedicated to my team from 10 to four every day. And then I go back to family time. I found that uh, compartmentalizing really works for me. And so, you know, that schedule is not going to work for everyone. I know people who have kids, it's much more complicated, but I would, I would challenge you to consider like, where's your time going? And is there a way to compartmentalize it where you're giving your whole presence and being in one aspect in a certain period of time, and then really, um, safeguarding that other period of time. The reason 6 to 7 a.m. works for me is because no one else is awake <laughs> and I'm not getting any emails or phone calls or interrupted. And, you know, I think at some point we have to make these decisions to take back control of our time. Yeah. We had um, David Cantor and Scott Slater from Fidelity when, when David Cantor was at Fidelity. Uh, mm -hmm. They joined us for episode eight of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And 
David Cantor identified four specific action items that, that every COO should perform almost immediately after after accepting a job. And this this goes to that, you know, short term versus long term. So he said, aim to take a full 360 day review of the entire organization, really get the perspective mm -hmm. of everyone beyond just the leadership team. So that was number one. Then he said, get this is an important one that we've already talked about, get mm -hmm. clarity in writing from the founders on what the COO yeah. role will entail in their mind. Don't be afraid to ask, hey, how is success defined for, for this role? Then number three was he said, play the long game, not the short game. So he says the first 90 to 100 days should be filled with just listening and absorbing and, and getting a, an understanding of how the firm works and where the COO can make an impact. Because he said you have to pick your spots wisely of what you know mm -hmm. what you're going to tackle first, second, third, etc. And then the last one he said, make the entire first year about small incremental steps that can pave the way for those larger future successes. Don't come into the new firm with massive change immediately because it's just yeah. going to freak everyone out. Hundred <laughs> yeah, uh, percent. And Scott Slater jumped in and he said, uh, which I thought was interesting, the COO position he said is a political position. He said, when you're doing that listening tour for the first 90 to 100 days, look for problems in the organization that, that, that the entire organization is frustrated with and see if you can solve those problems and add value to create some of that political support behind your thoughts mm -hmm. uh, and then build on that momentum. And, and I, I thought that was fantastic. I always think about that conversation because I thought it was very good advice. advice. <laughs> yeah. It also, for those of you that watched Ted Lasso, <laughs> I always think of, of uh, one of the first scenes, for those of you that haven't watched it, the big joke here is he's a college football coach, an American yeah. football coach. He goes to Europe. He's now coaching a, a European soccer team. He knows nothing about soccer. But the first thing he does, he can't tell these guys how to play soccer. So he says, I'm going to put a suggestion box and if you anything you're frustrated with, let me know. And they're all looking at him like he's crazy. He goes, come on, anything can go in the box. He says, how's the water pressure in the showers? And they, you know what? Now that you mention it, our water pressure is awful. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to fix that because he didn't have anything else he could fix. Yeah. He fixed the water pressure. And he, he won all this kind of, you know, to, to Scott Slater's point, the, the political capital. Yeah. So they kind of trust him a little bit more. And so Reese and I are watching it and I said, man, that was a COO move right there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the water pressure. But uh, I, I just think that the whole thing is, is such great advice. Uh, the whole Ted Lasso uh, series should be watched by everybody in leadership because there's gems yeah. throughout <laughs> that can yep. teach you how to be a better leader. You know what I love? I love everything you said. I totally agree with what they had shared. And yeah. it reminds me of a saying that I've heard before, which is seek to understand before being understood. Mm. And that's always really worked well for me as a COO is to approach situations or challenges to better understand them before my perspective is understood. And then on the quick wins, one thing that I think leaders don't always do is try to give their team members quick wins as part of their one-on-ones. Like if you're having regular check-ins with team members yeah. and there's something that they're challenged by, it's so powerful when a leader takes that challenge and says, I'll take care of it for you. I'm on your team. I want to make your job easier. I want to make your life easier. I want to I want to go ahead and solve this problem for you. And it's really important that we do that so that we even build rapport and trust with our team members so that they know that we're on their side, that we want to be there and support. And I think not only quick wins in how the company is run, but also if you can give quick wins to people on a one-on-one -on -one individual level, that's really powerful too. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, another question that comes up for COOs quite often is how they can manage that dynamic between the CEO and the COO. So as, as you've grown your career, how do you set clear expectations with your CEO? Yeah, well, I feel like I'm lucky. So this is a little bit cheating <laughs> as a question for, for me because I have a CEO that treats me like a partner. He doesn't think about running an organization and dictating down to me what the vision is and then have an expectation for me that I just need to go and execute his vision. He treats me as somebody who he wants to build a vision with together and then support me and what I give me the tools, the resources, the people, the talent, the technology to actually execute that vision. And so that being said, I'm in a fortunate position where I do have that partnership and I'm not just dictated down to. I would probably suggest that when you're doing those interviews we talked about earlier, <laughs> that you make sure your CEO wants to treat you as a partner, that they want to collaborate together, that they don't see uh, their ultimate goal of determining a vision as the number one thing that happens in an organization. They see the collective whole of what it takes to actually implement, implement and execute that vision as the most important thing that happens in an organization. And they're willing to do the strategic planning with you to make sure you're aligned and on the same page. That being said, I'm in a lot of study groups and I participate in um, a lot of different industry conferences and other things throughout the industry, throughout the financial services industry. And there's a lot of uh, not great CEOs out there. There's a lot of CEOs that are sometimes the cultural disruptor of the organization. They're the ones that are dictating, they're treating people badly. They don't think about the implication of their decisions. They just kind of go and make all of those different decisions. And then they don't actually understand how that, like the results are not gonna be what they want because they're not actually thinking through the bigger picture. And so if you're in one of those situations, you gotta address it. You have to be able to pull the CEO aside and say, hey, I want to partner with you. I want to be a part of this. I, I believe in what you are doing and you're incredibly talented. And I know we want to grow this thing together, but we have to grow differently. We have to communicate differently. Are you willing to partner with me and, and do this? I think that's a very important part of the process. And if you are a COO that can't have that conversation with your CEO, then I would suggest you either get coaching so that you can get to a place of having that conversation or, or ask yourself if that's the right place for you. Because we it's part of owning your career to be brave enough to have the difficult conversations with the people that are the key stakeholders in your life. You know, that I was chatting with someone and they framed this in a really great way. They said, whenever you have to have a difficult conversation, think about the problem as separate than the person. Like I'm the COO going to the CEO and saying, we have this problem. You run around this organization, throwing out ideas and distracting everyone in the organization. Maybe you don't say you, you say we have this issue where there's all these ideas and they're distracting the organization and I'm trying to implement ideas, but I'm not sure that the clear strategic direction on and how to go about doing that. Can you partner with me? to solve this issue we're having in our organization where people really don't have clarity on what needs to happen versus I hate working with you and this is not fun. You, know, you can't yeah. say that, right? I think that we need to make sure that when we're approaching difficult conversations, we really try to separate the problem from the person and ask people to partner with us to solve that problem. Yeah. Mike Reed from Dakota Wealth, he was on the podcast. He said, day one, 
he sat down with with CEO Peter Ramondi and he said, draw a line down the middle of the page, write down everything that you love doing on one side, on the other side, write down the stuff you don't like doing. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the right side of the page basically became my job description. And you were good to point out, hey, that you don't really want that job. Of, hey, let me just dump this stuff on you. But he made a good point. He said, he said, I needed to get that off of his plate. So either I needed to do certain of those tasks myself, or I needed to find someone that was going to that was going to do it. But but it was clear in, in black and white on that page what what the CEO's responsibilities were and what the COO's responsibilities were. Yeah. And, and he was able to just say, you know, my job is to, to make sure that you're excited to come to work every day, focused on what you love doing. And he said he didn't come over to my side of the page very often because that was the stuff he didn't want to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So I, I can't ever have one of these conversations without some Eddie Van Halen story. <laughs> so the dynamic that worked for Eddie Van Halen and, and whether it was David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar, the dynamic that they agreed to was Eddie would write the music and then he would just hand the music over to the, 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 the singer and say, hey, you put the lyrics to this. Mm-hmm. And they, they just stayed in their, their own lanes. And, and he was quoted, Eddie was quoted as saying, we were several albums into our career before I even bothered to look at what the lyrics were. He says, I never even knew what Dave was singing <laughs> all those years. And when things went sideways with Sammy Hagar years later, and, and Sammy actually just talked about this in Rolling Stone just recently, he said, all of a sudden, Eddie started opining on the lyrics and saying, well, why don't you try this word here? Or why don't you try this lyric? And he says, dude, this is not the relationship that we agreed to. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what to do on guitar. You should not be coming over to to, to my lane. And, and they just, they needed to stay in their own lanes. And that's where things kind of went, went sideways. And and Sammy finally just left the band. (laughs) Uh, That's a good story. And and probably like very relevant to this discussion, setting those clear expectations of what you're each accountable to at the very onset is such an important part of collaborating and working well together we can idea share together but then ultimately the the decision and how it works um the coo is responsible generally speaking for integrating big strategic decisions into the organization and i think the best ceos know that and delegate that power well yeah and we were talking about it kind of as the coo talking to the rest of the team but it works at the ceo Mm -hmm. level too they've got to just give direction yeah Mm -hmm. go figure this out rather than tell them exactly how to do it micromanage for sure yeah so we've heard we've heard feedback that some coos have a hard time getting the rest of the leadership team to buy into their strategic priorities so how do you present new initiatives to the leadership team (laughs) the most important thing to do when you have an idea or an initiative that you want to uh, implement is to make sure that you tie it back to what's most important to the people you're speaking to. This is like important communication skills 101. What does the person across from me need or want? What does the company need or want? And how is the thing that I'm offering going to align with that? So if your goal is to grow and you need another operations hire, You can't just go in there and say, hey, based on the statistics and benchmarking studies, firms our size have four operations professionals per thousand clients, whatever the statistic is. And so we need another operations professional that people are going to be like, where'd you get that statistic? What's that firm like who filled out the benchmarking studies? How did that work? That's not a good way to prove your point. And that's not going to actually get you what you want. 
Instead, you have to say, hey, I know our goal is growth, and I've been noticing that our advisors are frustrated with the turnaround time and documents getting processed and sent out to clients. In order to make the client experience better and to have faster turnaround time so that we can get those referrals, because I know that most referrals are given in the first year of a client onboarding, and that onboarding experience has to be incredibly good, I think that we need another operations professional so that we can better spread out capacity across our team and give our advisors that turnaround time that ultimately will lead to growth. How do you feel about that? That's a better way <laughs> to frame your operations hire need than just using a bunch of statistics and data and analysis that may or may not be relevant to the people at the leadership team. So I would say that it's really important to make sure you're tying it to the strategic initiatives of the firm. But the second thing is a follow up. If you get a yes or an OK, take a few hours and build out a plan. Hey, based on you saying yes, I can hire another operations professional. I would like to start the interview process now. I'd like to hire by this date. Once we onboard, these are the things that I think are most important to train on. This is what the other team members are going to be doing once we have it done. This is my game plan and how I'm going to actually institute and implement this. Is you guys all agree with that? I think sometimes we forget about the plan, the milestones, the markers, how we're going to stay on track. Sometimes we get the buy-in and then it you kind of go off and do your own thing. And then the leadership team's like, so what are we doing? How are we doing it? What's going on here? What's the goal? Is there an ROI? Are we measuring it as a KPI for this? You know, they're asking all these questions. Whereas if you just did a little bit of pre-planning and not only pitch the idea, got approval idea, pitch the plan, get approval on a plan. I think that plan actually builds a lot of trust and rapport with your leadership team. And it makes it so that they will be more likely to approve your ideas in the future. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that, I think that's, that's spot on. The only thing I would add is, is, and we touched on a little bit earlier, just try not to overwhelm with too much all, all at once. Yes. Everyone get the, get to... the approval first, plan yep. second. Yes, exactly. Don't get the approval with the plan. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> everyone wants to improve the organization, wants to see everything evolve. But at the same time, everyone is so stressed about what's on their plate. Yeah. And if it comes off as, you know, I, I want to do all this and it's going to require a lot of work on, on your part, it's it's people kind of go into that turtle shell and they, they just sort of reject the ideas. So yeah. I always tell COOs, you know, divide your your suggestions into, you know, here's some early wins. We can do these short term. Here's some intermediate term, maybe six months from now. And then here's, you know, one year from now. But you got to know that you can't tackle it all right, right at one at one time. Yeah. And if you're going to bring an idea to the table, be ready to own that idea. Don't yeah. put it on somebody else. Don't bring an idea and be like, oh, but can you do it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to gotta own it. If you're bringing it to the table, you got to own it. Very good. Yep. So now let's let's tackle some common obstacles that employees need to overcome in their career. We've talked about taking control of the career and, and raising your hand as much as possible to be a real go getter. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you aren't going to wake up every single day wanting to slay the dragon and take on the world. So I wanted to talk about some strategies that, that we can take on those days that we just aren't feeling totally motivated. For, for most professionals, they hit a ceiling at some point in their career and they don't feel like they're growing uh, in their current position. They feel like they're kind of just going through the motions. So what are some tips that, that you have that work to, 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 to make work feel engaging again? Yeah, I have a few different tips to give, but I would, I would say even back to the equation I shared earlier, right mindset plus right strategy equals a better investor. 
On the mindset side, I do think it's important for people to understand what their personal why is. Uh, Simon Sinek has a book called Find Your Why. Yep. Different than starts with why. Find Your Why is more about the individual and the person. And he challenges you in the book to come up with a why statement that's not family or spiritual related, where if you woke up every day and you were excited to do the thing that you were excited to do, what would that thing be? And even as I've been reflecting on that, and when I defined my why statement a few years ago, I realized that I really love making plans where the ultimate thing that happens after I make that plan is we all enjoy more life together, whether that's planning cycling trips with my husband, who he's a avid cyclist. I don't actually cycle. I drive the car, but it's really fun going to like the Italian Alps and he's cycling and, <laughs> and I'm driving the car. But the experience is so fun and to see the joy on his face. I love that. Even at work, though, when I get to do career pathing for my team members or we're achieving a strategic initiative or we really like nail the client experience, putting that time and energy into planning it and then seeing the result super meaningful to me. So my why statement is to create meaningful experiences so that we, the collective, can achieve greater impact. So I think to myself, if I wake up every day and I create meaningful experiences and the result of that is that me and whoever I'm working with achieve greater impact, that's going to be really fulfilling to me. And if I have that mindset going into my work, then it's going to be harder for my work to be disappointing to me if I'm doing the thing that I've defined as my why. So I'd say that's one aspect of it. But I want to just share another aspect, which is I think that our industry undervalues the importance of creativity. We tend to go into our work and into our job and say, I got to get this many tasks done and get this much work done. And these are the things I'm going to be doing. And these are the things I'm going to be achieving. But we don't always think about how important it is to spend time like investing into our own creative nature. And we're in an analytical business. And so we tend to be like numbers people, right? Not, not artsy people. But yeah. at the end of the day, I don't think that we should separate those two like personas anymore. I actually think the best way to stay engaged in your own career in the work that you're doing on a day to day basis is to make sure that you're leaving space for creativity. You know, that's what my six to 7 a.m. hour is. Like sometimes I'm getting creative about the meeting agendas that I'm putting together. Yep. And sometimes I'm building a presentation or writing a paper. But spending time actually investing into yourself in that way is incredibly important to continue to be engaged. I would even recommend if you have something challenging you wanna do, write a white paper about it. You, don't, you can publish it or not publish it, but just go through the process of writing it it will actually help you build confidence in the decisions they're making. So my two pieces of advice are make sure you understand your why so that you're aligned to it when you go to work every day and that you can make sure that the activities you're doing lead to the impact that you want to make. And then number two, reflect on whether or not you spend enough time being creative, because I think creativity really does boost confidence and energy. Yeah, I think this I think this happens to COOs a lot because again, the the thought is the COO's job is to take stuff off of the CEO's plate. Mm -hmm. I think the COOs forget that they're allowed to delegate. Yeah, well. right. EOS has the, the concept delegate and elevate. Mm -hmm. and, and so they say delegate some of your responsibilities and elevate yourself to operate at the highest, your highest and best use. The responsibilities that you delegate to other people have to be the tasks that you feel that you've outgrown. So, so just by the nature of doing this process, you're, you're going to feel more challenged and, mm -hmm. and more uh, empowered, et cetera. It, it can be tough. I've struggled with this because, uh, 
we always feel bad about passing off jobs that aren't as much fun as, as others, but you just, if you're going to grow your career, you have to get comfortable doing it. And you have yeah. to understand there's people who, who have those skills and have enthusiasm for doing those tasks. And it's important to, to, to realize that if you're experiencing personal growth in that COO role, the entire company is going to grow under you. Yeah. By not delegating those tasks, you're holding yourself back and you're probably holding them back too. And that's important to note is that like it, it kind of hits on both sides of not owning your career. It's yeah. not doing well for you and not doing well for your team. Yeah. Well, separate from hitting the ceiling where you feel you aren't growing, uh, some people just straight up get burned out yeah. <laughs> there. And, and a lot of people, you know, we're dealing with this now. Um, just it, 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 a lot of people have have left the industry. There's we're all growing our RIAs, but there's fewer people uh, that, that are that are helping us. So we're juggling so many responsibilities and and people feel like they, they're just required to go 200 miles per hour every day. So how how do you manage burnout? Uh, I I might have some less popular comments to make here. Okay. I think that burnout is uh, it's getting overused and we're misunderstanding it. You know, there's a difference between burnout and stress. I feel that oftentimes when we think we're feeling burnout, we're actually feeling stress. And there's a lot of interesting charts on this, but as I've actually dug into this topic a little bit more and researched it just for my own team, when I hear, you know, people say, oh, I'm burnt out, the, the solution is usually, okay, do less, go on a vacation, do something different. But I think we have to actually evaluate that a little bit deeper because generally speaking, burnout is feelings of depression, dissatisfaction. Um, I'm going to call it stress without a why, meaning mm -hmm. like you're stressed out, but you don't have like a thing that you're trying to achieve. You're just kind of going through the motions every single day. If that's a place that you're in, I think you have to ask yourself a few questions and say like, Hey, am I doing things that are no longer aligning with my goals? What is my why? And do I actually feel that I come to work every day and achieve our why? Do I feel burnt out because I'm not communicating to the people most important to me what my priorities are? So I feel this pressure to be home when I'm at work and to be at work when I'm at home. And these things are all convoluted together and clustering our head and making us feel like we're just not ourselves. That is a little different than stress. Uh, if you're in a C-suite position, like stress is like part of the game. And I think sometimes we just have to accept that. Like it's very difficult to be at the highest level of an organization and not periodically feel stressed. Now we shouldn't be feel stressed all the time. It's probably a toxic work environment <laughs> if yeah. you feel that way. But there is, there is a period of time where you feel a lot of stress and that's okay because that's also part of the level of responsibility you have as a leader of an organization. That is different than the burnout circle. And so, the reason I say that is that I would encourage everyone to ask themselves, do I feel burnt out or do I feel stressed? If I feel burnt out, am I not aligning with the things that are most important or do the key stakeholders in my life, my spouse, my kids, my family, my parents, my boss, my colleagues, not understand my priorities and I'm feeling pressure from all of those angles. And in that situation, you have to use communication to solve the problem. You have to make sure that everybody knows what you're trying to achieve and feels aligned to it. Once all of those things that are in place, I think burnout slowly fades away because you're focused on alignment with your why, mm -hmm. your people understand it and everything matters. And so the best way, in my opinion, to get out of a 
a state of burnout is to ask yourself those questions and then proactively communicate to try to get, elevate yourself out of it. Now, the other thing is you might just be stressed <laughs> and that might just go away at yeah. some point too. So maybe don't overthink it and overanalyze it. Understanding the difference between burnout and stress is really important. Yeah. As you're, as you're talking, someone shared this on social media yesterday. I don't, I, I can't give them credit because I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but uh, it was a pie chart and it said what I, what I thought I needed for success. Mm. And the first pie was 100% just said hard work. And then below that, it says what I've realized I need for success. And the pie, the second pie is, is divided. It says get enough sleep, eat well, yeah. exercise and then 25 to 33 percent was was that was that hard work i think i think as a society we're getting better about talking about self-care i don't know if we're if, i know for my <laughs> i know for myself i'm horrible at it but but i don't know if we're getting great at implementing all of these changes but I, it's important that we're at least having these conversations now yeah just communicate right and understand what you want to achieve pursue those goals set them and make sure key stakeholders are have buy-in to them i think actually what we do too often is we set the goals and then we don't tell anyone that we have this goal and then we're just rounding them up trying to do this thing and everyone's like what are you what are you doing <laughs> you know again like you know our spouses aren't mind readers our employers are not mind readers we have to we have to share what's yeah. most important to us even you know this last this last weekend i was up in mammoth if people are familiar with it it's in central california and I knew I needed an extra day in Mammoth with my husband. I, we just needed to spend another day together. And so I reached out to my CEO and I said, I'm gonna be in Mammoth another day. My This is now like husband time versus work time. And, and his response to me was, that's great. Like if you have the right people in your life, if you have the right stakeholders, they are gonna align with the things that are most important to you. And we had a, a good meeting Monday morning that I had to miss because I, had to make the decision to spend time with my spouse. And he was fine with it because he knew the reason why and he knew that it was important to me. I do the opposite often, <laughs> right? When I say to my husband, hey, you'll be home at seven. Um, but this is why, and this is what I'm working on. We have to be able to have those honest conversations with the people most important to us. Yep, I love it. Well, one of the one of the biggest obstacles that employees face, especially COOs, is just the simple law of inertia. Newton's law of inertia literally says every object will remain at rest or in a uniform motion in a straight line unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. Mm -hmm. And that external force often is the COO. <laughs> the, the COO will come into an organization and say, hey, you guys are doing great. I'm so lucky to be here, but I do have some recommendations. And they try to institute some change in the in the firm, but they run into that famous, well, we've always done it this way. Why why would we need to change? <laughs> so I, I know you're at a pretty forward-looking and progressive firm. So hopefully mm -hmm. you haven't run into this too much yeah. at Morton Wealth. But I know you mentioned all your study groups. I know you mm -hmm. you talk to a lot of people. So what advice do you give to people when they when they bring this up? Oh, I did run into this at Morton Wealth <laughs> in the yeah. earlier years. I don't run into it today, but I think we've evolved quite a bit as an organization and really built the trust and the foundation that we need. Uh, if somebody is saying no to you on something that you want to do uh, as a COO or a goal or an initiative, you have to ask yourself the question of, is it aligning with the goals of the organization, which we talked about earlier. But the second thing you have to ask yourself is, do, does the person I'm talking to understand the benefit? Because oftentimes when people say no, it's because they don't understand what the benefit is either to themselves or to the business. And so digging into that concept with 
uh, whoever the key stakeholders are that are not quite giving you what you need is a really important part of the process. Like asking the question of if I, you know, you said no to this, and I just am curious, do you understand what the benefits would be? Or, hey, can you share with me why you don't think this is beneficial to the organization? And maybe can I share with you some of the benefits that I see? Understanding that reward benefit um, spectrum is incredibly important when you're getting key stakeholders uh, to buy into something. The other thing that we should remember as COOs is that as much as we probably became a COO because we didn't want to become a salesperson, we actually are a salesperson, <laughs> right? Yeah, you are you are selling your internal goals, your ideas, how you're driving the, the organization, and you have to be thoughtful to how you do it. So take sales training courses, take communications courses, keep working through the issues, ask the ask people if they understand the benefits and be willing to share the benefits or the value of the things that you're doing. I think we need to come from that mindset and you're not selling, you know, a salesperson has a bad rap actually. I think you, they, you think about like whatever, uh, bad salespeople yeah. that are knocking door to door selling you junk. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being a good communicator in a way that you can help people to see the benefit of the thing that you're trying to accomplish and that it will ultimately make a positive impact for them or the company. Yeah. I think um, kind of talking about that sales, you know, selling, uh, I think coaches or, or therapists when they're confronted by someone that, that just refusing to, to change, I think the phrase they always like to use is, well, how's that working for you? <laughs> right. <laughs> someone hires a coach because they're not getting yeah. the results they want. But then yeah. when the coach says, okay, let's adjust you know, let's adjust your swing or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. The person says, oh, no, don't touch my swing. I don't want to change that. And then the coach has to politely say, well, how many tournaments have you won this year? Yeah. Uh, you know, they have to remind him, you came to me, you wanted to improve your performance. And they say, yeah, yeah, but I didn't know you were going to change anything. <laughs> and they say, well, how is your current swing working for you? You know, the, you just have to kind of throw it out there. You've got to be careful how you say it, uh, depending on your relationship with the person, you can be a little more aggressive. But yeah, I think that, you know, well, how's that working for you? I think that's an important one. Yeah, we, we are change managers also, <laughs> as well as, as salespeople. And so understanding how to manage change is really important. But I love that. How is it working for you? Because another way that I've said it before is we have the option of trying this or staying the same, yeah. which one's more risky. Right. And oftentimes we think trying something new is more risky, but that's not generally the case. Probably 50-50, staying the same is more risky. And that's so right. we also have to make sure that we're clearly articulating that when we're trying to get buy-in. Yeah. Well, for this last section of questions, I wanted to touch on a, a few topics around advancing your career. I mean, that's kind of what this whole thing's been about. So what can people do to really elevate themselves within the organization, stand out from their from their coworkers? Mm -hmm. At the outset of the conversation, I read off that list of words. I'm going to say it again. To, to, to build your career, you have to be trustworthy, collaborative, accountable, a good teammate, productive, dependable. You must achieve results and you must be an excellent communicator. But I think the one that we can add to that, we've, we've touched on it, we've said the word a few times, is you have to be curious. So why do you think, Stacey, why do you think curiosity is such a vital quality for a good COO? Well, before I answer that question, you brought up Ted Lasso earlier. Yes. And so I feel like I have to bring Ted Lasso back right. <laughs> for this one, because there's a scene in the show where he's challenged to a darts match uh, and the person starts playing darts with him and he starts telling this story about how 
when he was a little boy, every Sunday, his dad would take him to a bar and they would play darts together from ages, I think he said like five to 16 when his dad passed away. And on the way to the bar, there was a poster outside that said, be curious, not judgmental. And in the scene, if many of you have seen it, he goes on to win the darts match and he says to his opponent, I think it's Rupert is the name of the character, if you would have just asked me if I knew how to play darts, you wouldn't have challenged me to this match. Yep. And I, uh, I think about it so much. Like how often do we make assumptions? Are we just go a hundred miles per hour when if we would have taken a few seconds to be curious and not judgmental, we would have gotten to the problems a lot faster. I actually, uh, one of my other fellow leadership team members and I talk about this a lot. Whenever we have a challenge we're facing, we ask ourselves curiosity questions because we wanna make sure we're not diagnosing the symptom we're diagnosing the cause. And sometimes it's easy to diagnose the symptom of something. Oh, this person just is rude, so they spoke that way. Mm. Like, were they having a bad day? Like, generally speaking, that person doesn't show up as rude. So, like, what else was happening? Do they feel insecure about something happening to them? Do they need to clarify an, another aspect? Instead of addressing the issue and going to them being like, you need to not be rude, you go to them and you say, hey, like, you showed up a, a different in a different version of yourself. Can you share with me what's going on? Is there something happening in your life or there's something you're frustrated by, by at work? Can we talk through any issues? Can we solve this together? I think if we're more curious, we'll tend to diagnose the causes within our organization and not just the symptoms. I love it. I uh, Everybody listens to Michael Kitsis's podcast. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so good. I listen to it often. It was episode 282. I looked it up. Uh, <laughs> Allison Felix of Cassidy and Company. I don't know Allison personally, but her story was fascinating. She she started out as the executive assistant to the CEO, and she was so good at taking things off of his plate and learning the business so well. Over time, she's now the COO of a four billion dollar uh, firm, and his podcast interviews are very long. Uh, but the quote that jumped out at me of his long, you know, hour and a half of conversation with her, um, she said. Uh, if you aren't interested in all facets of the business, then you really shouldn't be a COO because the, as the COO, you're responsible for so many different elements of the, of the organization. You, you have to be willing, like Eric Heyman said, you have to be willing to say, well, no one, no one's watering that plant over there. You know, no one's, um, no one's, uh, I think his example was QuickBooks. No one at the firm really knew QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. so he says, I'm going to go get trained on, on being QuickBooks. Or, uh, you know, you hear, you hear the advisors complaining about, you know, in client meetings, they keep getting bogged down because clients are, are looking at the performance of one individual security. Well, then say, well, maybe we should get rid of individuals. You know, let's just do asset classes on our performance report. You got to think about different ways to, to improve the organization. The, the COO uh, is the anti that's not my job position. Right? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's all your all of it is, is your job. Your yeah. job is to make stuff work better. And to Allison's point, you have to be curious and interested in everything at the firm if you're going to be successful in your position. Mm -hmm. I love that. I mean, my, I'm stuck on that. It's not my job role <laughs> because I think that's so true. And I've never really thought about it that way. But you can't say that you have to if it's even if it isn't your job, hey, I'm going to find the right person to do this job. Yep. Well, if if someone is an operations manager or a director of operations, 
what advice can you give them? Uh, what, 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 what opportunities should they take on uh, that could lead them to eventually holding the COO title? I guess the first thing that I would suggest to somebody is to take a moment and ask themselves if I was in the position above me, if I was in the position that I wanted to be in, what decisions would I make? What strategies would I implement? How would I make a positive impact on the company? How would I align our strategic vision? And start like working through that idea. I think what happens too often, and I mentioned this earlier, is we put our head down and we work hard and we hope that somebody will notice one day. But that is what a doer does. That's not what a contributor does. So if you're looking to get to the next level in your uh, company, if you want to have a seat at the leadership table, you want to become a COO, you have to start asking yourself the question, what would I do if I was there already? And then bring those ideas to the table and be willing to do the hard work to make those ideas a reality. The best way to move forward and to gain um, a good reputation with the leadership team or with the senior people in the organization to make sure that they understand who you'll be as a contributor, as a person at that leadership table, is to start acting like one today. Yeah, I'm thinking of the the famous Steve Martin quote, be so good, they can't ignore you. <laughs> exactly. You know, but it's not just, don't just do a ton of work. Make sure that you're doing things that achieve results and have that alignment. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so last question, I'm going to, it's a very broad one. So if you were to give one piece of advice to people building a career at an RIA, what would it be? Uh <laughs> I think you have to prioritize communication skills above all else. You can have all the technical knowledge in the world, but if you can't communicate it well, it's not going to matter. We're tempted to move forward in our careers by getting more letters behind our name and diving into technical expertise and education. While you need that to be able to strategically implement in your organization and bring some ideas to the table, the ideas aren't ever going to make it to the table if you can't communicate it well. So when we think about growing, whether it's growing as an advisor and wanting to be client facing one day, growing in operations, uh, having a seat at the leadership table, the most important thing for us to reflect on is how are we communicating to the key stakeholders in our life? You know, at the end of the day, to be an empowering leader, you have to communicate often, you have to inspire your team, you have to be somebody that other people want to follow. And if you communicate those things well, I think the sky's the limit. I love it. Yeah, I think that you, yours is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I like the communication skills. The one I was going to say is for RIAs, they're small businesses, right? The, 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 the 10 people, 12 people, whatever it is. I think where people run into problems, you know, my advice is be an artist, not a scientist. Yeah. You have to be comfortable with kind of that wishy-washy. I think a lot of people... They, they want the, the step-by-step, -step. they want to sit back. They want people to tell them what to do. You can't, you can't do that at, a, at mm -hmm. an RIA and you have to be comfortable with, uh, it's not paint by numbers, right? It's not this red goes here, green goes here. It's mix some colors together and see what you think. Throw, put a cloud there. If you don't, if we don't like it, we'll just paint over it, but you've got to be comfortable with kind of that. It's, it's more, it's definitely more art than, than science. I love, I actually think that's probably the same thing as I'm saying around communication skills yeah. <laughs> right. versus technical, right? You have to, you need to understand how you're going to get to where you want to go and 
who you're speaking with, knowing your audience, yep. being a good storyteller, understanding the impact you're going to be making, communicate often, all of these things, those are more artistic skills than not, right? So yep. we're, we're probably saying the same thing. Yeah. Well, Stacey, you never fail to impress. <laughs> uh, as I said at the outset, you're one of the more thoughtful leaders in our industry. You you really mix the people side, that emotional side with the technical aspects. This is what we were just talking about. It makes you an incredible leader. So thank you for writing this amazing paper. And thank you for spending some time with us today to discuss it. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Thanks, Matt.